Hi, everyone. I'm really happy to be able to bring you uh, an intraday perspective on the markets, just given what we've seen in that U.S. 10-year yield uh, spiking above that 1.6% level, causing a real sell-off in the broader markets, but specifically, of course, those high-valued tech stocks, um, obviously happening over the past couple of days, and also just the pressure we've seen building over the past number of weeks and that potential trade happening. Uh, So Barry gives you his perspective in our half-hour discussion. Again, it's a midday kind of trading perspective, but it's, uh, you know, much perhaps longer in scope in terms of taking this information and thinking about how the next six months play out. So uh, I'd encourage you to take a listen. And as always, um, send me any questions, follow up, etc. at uh, contact C3M at gmail.com. Hope you enjoy. Take a listen. Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Okay, Barry, thank you. This is awesome. So we'll just get, we'll just get going. Okay, let's yeah. do it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Barry, great to be able to speak with you and bring your views to our viewers, um, just given the fact that we saw, you know, really that back up in the yield curve yesterday, Thursday, causing the equity markets to, to royal. It looks as though there's maybe a little bit more stability today, but why don't you walk us through how you're thinking about the past, you know, 24 hours or so? I know this is it's in a much bigger context than that, but how are you looking at, how are you looking at this? Yeah, well, I think really what's the, the key thing is what's happening here is the market is testing the Fed and is going to keep selling off the bond market until they can get the Fed to react. And the Fed, how would the Fed react? They would support the long end of the yield curve, either by outright buying 10s and 30-year bonds or like they did last time, Operation Twist, where they sold short-term bonds and bought long-term bonds to flatten the yield curve to kind of lower the cost of capital for doing that. That was sort of the story yesterday. Uh, This morning we had payroll numbers come out. Uh, They were significantly stronger um, than market was expecting. And uh, I think the thesis here is that the reopening trade is alive. The economy is appearing to recover more strongly and quicker than the general market consensus was uh, previously. And the market is interpreting that, that that's going to lead to an overshoot of inflation uh, which I agree with the reopening. I think the facts are there. I think the likelihood of overshooting and inflation, though, is unlikely to happen, but it's going to take several months before that becomes obvious. So, Barry, then you're pretty much in line with, with the Fed and Fed, Fed Chair Jerome Powell when they say that they think that any kind of inflationary moves we're seeing and experiencing is uh, really just transitory. Absolutely. I like everything that I see in the inflation market. 
suggests that we're going to have an increase in inflation for the next six months, primarily because the way the calculations work, all the really big declines in prices in March and April of last year because of COVID fall out of the calculation and higher prices come in now. And we've got the addition of oil prices have virtually doubled in the last year. Those two things are gonna drive inflation higher, but longer term, the, the real driver of inflation is wages. And even with a very, very strong employment number today, there's still no evidence that wages are rising. The underemployment rate is above 11%. And I think what people are, are missing to some degree is that COVID has hurt the low end of the labor market most significantly. And that's where the potential for broad-based wage growth really lies. And I really think technology has replaced, has been replacing labor for 30 years and COVID really accelerated that because we were all forced to rely on technology uh, to do our jobs. And so we're gonna, it's, I think there's gonna be lots of volatility over the next several months, but in the end, the, this is an inflation scare in markets, we haven't seen an inflation scare for 35 years. Every scare we've had in the last 35 years has been growth scares. Not that many people have, have are still active in the marketplace that were trading in the 70s and 80s when the last time we had inflation scares. And so it's uncomfortable and that'll lead to volatility. Um, but when you go back and, and look at what the you know investors who can kind of control the, the fixed income market, and of course, that's your background, both on the sell side as well as the buy side. When you say that they are wanting the Fed to step in, um, you know, why? And, you know, they may want the Fed to step in, but at the same time, too, they're willing to what I hear from you, I think is that they're willing to ride that trade all day long. So in other words, for our viewers right. to listen to this, there, there, there are market dynamics that traders and investors are taking advantage of as well, hedge funds, I should say as well. Right, and I, I should clarify, uh, I don't think the market is trying to force the Fed um, to come in and lower bond yields. I, I think it's actually the opposite, as you said. They're willing to push them up as long as the Fed doesn't react because that there's, the market is net short and they, that makes them money. And as long as the Fed is showing that they're not gonna react, then the marketplace, which is many, many multiple times bigger than the Fed, is gonna keep pushing yields higher. And so, and I, I you know, it, it's, it's kind of self-fulfilling to do mm -hmm. that. Uh, so it's profit motivation. On the other side, the Fed is reluctant to draw a line in the sand and say 150 or 160 or 175 or 180 is the highest that they wanna see the 10 year. 
I think the Fed is looking at it and the Fed forever in the 40 years I've been doing this, they're always very, I, I don't know if this is the right word, but incompetent at communicating what they're really trying to say. And, but I, I, I think that what Powell is saying that he doesn't come out and say this, but his actions tell me that he doesn't know what the level of the 10-year is where it really starts to bite on the economy. So he's leaving it to the stock market and credit spreads. Huh. And that there's some basis for that because all the way through this, you know, we've had yields rise from 75 basis points in the 10 year to over 160. Um, and the stock market has continued to go up. We've had kind of one or two day sell-offs um, like yesterday and the previous Thursday. But, you know, the, the bond market, you know, we had a strong employment level the bond market's actually up a little bit today um, and the stock market is up. You would think that if the Fed was really reacting to the 10-year yield, um, a strong employment number would make yields go up and stocks go down. But they, that's not really happening. So I think the Fed and it might be appropriate, I'm not sure, we'll see how this plays out, is essentially leaving it to the stock market and credit spreads and saying, hey, I don't really have to draw a line in the sand because when bond yields get too high, the stock market will sell off and credit spreads will blow out in anticipation of a weaker economy. And I think that's really what's happening right now. It's a bit of a tug of war. Hmm. Um, but in many ways, Barry, you, you would want U.S. Federal Reserve to kind of stay out of the picture of the market, given the fact that there's so many participants and a market is always, you know, a buyer and a seller, uh, you know, in terms of different points of view. So isn't that so you would you would think that that's the way you would want this to play out. But at the same time, too. You know, it, it's interesting that obviously, well, not obviously, but he's not putting a marker in the sand in terms of, okay, 1.7 on the U.S. 10-year yield is too high, and therefore will really, uh, you know, crunch the the financial system in, in certain ways. So, you know, particularly in terms of um, uh, the the lending and putting a squeeze on, on, on that. Um, you know, it, I, I guess the question is, um, you know, is there a risk, though, that you know, if the market's in charge, that they really could push these rates much higher and therefore really cause some economic damage. Yeah, there, there's a definite risk there. But going back to, you know, wanting the Fed to stay out of it, that genie's kind of out of the bag after 2008, where once you start quantitative easing, printing money and buying bonds uh, and doing yield curve control and operation twist, by definition, you're manipulating the markets away from natural market forces. And it's a slippery slope. I mean, it can backfire and it has backfired numerous times, like the taper tantrum. And once you're in this, 
it's kind of like giving your child sugar, right? You're the first two or three times you give it to them, they stop crying. And then their head kind of explodes because I've <laughs> given them too many times. <laughs> so it's, you can't, the, you know, while the Fed is maybe doing the right things in the short time by not targeting a level of the 10 year, which is too high, um, they're both feed in and market manipulation and the market's gonna test them and in the end, it, for the long-term consequences of this are not good. And the, the unfortunate part about it is once they start, they have to keep doing it or the market continues to test them and drive the market in the opposite direction the Fed wants it to go. Mm. Um, and yeah. That, and that's what we've been seeing time and time again. Um, I guess, you know, yesterday when you and I were, were communicating uh, and we were looking at oil going up over 4% and also the U.S. dollar showing some strength, um, which is the right trade or can they both be right right now? And then we'll see the divergence once your call, which seems to be that like the Fed, that we won't actually see inflation. Is it, will that then have an impact on the U.S. dollar or oil? How do you see those two dynamics playing out? Right. Well, I, I strongly believe that you can't have the U.S. dollar and oil rising together for very long. Uh, obviously, in the short term, we had an OPEC meeting this week. They kind of surprised the market a little bit by not raising production. And uh, therefore, oil got a big boost yesterday and another one today. Um, and oil is also benefiting from the reopening trade is once people start flying again, uh, the demand for oil is going to go up. But the real question with oil is, you know, how much of that's already in the price? Um, I, have, I happen to believe that the long-term equilibrium price for oil is probably below where it is right now, but it's a, it's a highly sensitive supply demand um, commodity. And right now I think demand or expectations of demand are in excess of supply and therefore prices are rising. Uh, but once we get the real, once economies are reopening and we find out what the you know, what the real demand for oil is, it's, it's possible that oil demand expectations are higher than oil demand turns out to be, but we won't know that for several months. Mm -hmm. For quite some time. Um, do you think though, so if we're in a period of volatility right now, I mean, how are you wanting to position yourself? Is it just very short dated? Yeah, like I, I think that we're getting close to something happening here um, where, you know, maybe bond yields do get pushed too high and that causes credit spreads and stocks to sell off. Um, but it's, it seems to be sort of the sell-offs are kind of one in two days. They're short-lived. So we haven't really found where the, 
where the ceiling is for the 10-year yield that really disrupts risk markets being stocks and credit spreads. Um, but I think we're a lot closer to that point. Uh, and it's probably somewhere between here and 2%. Uh, so we're a lot closer to that when 10-year yield was at 1%. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I would be, I, I think it's fair to very slowly start buying a few bonds here and, and selling a few stocks. But then the, you have to look at what stocks and you know, the higher beta, higher risk, higher multiple NASDAQ stocks, which are actually the best companies with the strongest earnings, they've got beaten up pretty good in the last three weeks or so too. So it's, it's odd that the, the least interest sensitive stocks, which are technology, have become the most correlated to higher bond yields. And that's a function of the fact that the valuations of those stocks were the highest and deservedly so because they were the most, you know, the best companies and the most likely to grow earnings. But even the best companies can ultimately have multiples that are too high. Mm -hmm. Um, Barry, when you think about uh, the GDP figure here in Canada and, you know, concern or questions in terms of what we might hear from the BOC next week, what do you think will be the messaging? What should be the messaging? What's in the market right now? What's being priced in? Well, Canada obviously benefits from higher oil prices, but I think if you step back and look beyond that, our economy has been significantly closed uh, relative to other economies around the world. And that means that we're gonna have weaker economic growth. We're gonna have higher deficits relative to, you know, what other companies, countries have been doing. Although the US you know, they seem to be determined to, uh, to win the race to the highest deficits. And, you know, it's, it's, it's getting more and more difficult to justify 1.9 trillion in further fiscal stimulus when you see employment data like this and, the, and how the economies are reopening and how strong economic growth is going to be um, it, if it was up to me, I think that they would be better off to save that stimulus to see what happens after the, you know, the bounce back happens and we kind of get back to normal, but that's not what po politicians do. And this is, you know, it's not economic, it's political. Mm -hmm. So where, where does that leave Canada, though, in terms of when we think about, you know, our economy and the U.S. economy, what, what are you predicting then for 2021 in terms of um, obviously a recovery, a bounce back, no inflation? But are we will we be in an expansion era or ever so mild? 
Yeah, I, I think Canada definitely will grow. I mean, if you've got the U.S. growing at six or seven percent, it's virtually impossible not for Canada to grow, especially if oil prices have doubled. Um, on the other hand, it's not really what Canada does this year. It's what happens when we've returned to normalcy and if the U.S. returns to 2% growth, which has been the norm for the last 12, 15 years, uh, if Canada is growing at sub 1%, uh, that's a problem. So I, I mean, to really answer your question, I, um, it, it's difficult for me to be uh, positive on Canadian growth relative to the U.S. for the next several years. Wow, for the next several years. Okay. Um, that says a lot. Barry, I, I, I value your time always. I do want to just get to two questions if we can um, from viewers. One says, um, let's see here. Uh, who have been the sellers and buyers of government bonds as rates have risen? Has this changed much from earlier in the year before rates started to start the sudden rise? Has the quantity of government bonds traded each day varied much this year as rates have risen? That's from Darren. Kind of addressed a little bit what we talked about, but who's playing the game, I guess, is one of the questions. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's very difficult to determine the actual volume of bonds because it's not a listed market. It's over the counter. Uh, the Fed would have that data and the, you know, the, the big investment banks would have that data, but they don't generally think. But generally speaking, um, there's been enormous net selling of bonds, either by mutual funds and pension funds and so on as they shorten duration. So they, they've been selling government bonds to buy things like high yield, which are shorter duration. Uh, and then the hedge fund crowd, the so-called fast money, has been aggressively shorting. Uh, and you see open interest in futures that, that support that. And that's a trade. They're gonna keep shorting the bonds until uh, yields get to levels where it starts to bite the economy. And either the stock market craters and credit spreads blow out and then people go flight to safety to buy bonds or the Fed steps in and does something, or the, those two things happen in conjunction. Um, and you know, I think that we're a lot closer to that happening than we were. I, I don't know if it's gonna happen in the next couple of weeks. It's possible, but it looks to me that we probably have to get to 175 to 180 on the 10 year and see what happens. It was, but at some point we're gonna have a big bond rally this year. Yeah, so that you wanna go long, we wanna start buying the 20 or 30 year bonds when we start to see that US 10 year yield hit that 1.8 level. Yeah. Okay, um, one other question here. Um, do you think the Fed will use yield curve control and also with the rise in commodity prices such as oil and copper, how do you see this affecting inflation? What do you think about the gold silver industry in the near future? And that's from Sarah. Okay, so I think the Fed will do some form of yield curve control. 
the only question is whether it's subtle or whether they advertise it. Uh, but essentially, you know, they can either tweak their QE programs to shade it more to the long end of the yield curve, or they can come out and actually do what they did uh, in 2013 and 2014 Operation Twist, they can actually sell the two-year bonds that they own, uh, three-year bonds they own and buy 20 to 30-year bonds. So one is subtle and one is uh, pointed, I guess. Um, the second part of the question on inflation. Or... Yeah, just in terms of um, do, how do you see oil and copper affecting inflation? Uh, well, oil definitely has a, you know, a fairly good correlation to inflation, um, but it's only if oil, uh, if we have a sustained rise in oil, and we won't know that for several months. My guess is that we're in the midst of a of a cyclical rise in inflation due to the reopening of economies and uh, people driving and flying more. Um, but I don't think, you know, every other time that that's happened, then supply increases more than the demand and oil prices go down. And I think oil is in a at the very early stages of secular decline in the industry as the vehicle fleets electrify. Um, so I think that they are not gonna be long-term drivers of inflation. And I think there was a, a part about gold and silver. Yeah, what do you think about gold and silver well, in the near well, term? Well, the, the, the one thing I can observe is uh, inflation expectations are going up and gold is going down. Uh, that is extraordinarily unusual. And so, uh, you know, we have a, a, a way to define inflation expectations. It's not nebulous. It's, uh, we've, it's a calculation and the five-year average inflation expectations has been about 1.8%. And now it's about 2.25, 2.23. So inflation expectations are rising and gold is going down. Gold has gone down in the short term because the US dollar has rallied. Uh, but even when the US dollar was going down, gold was going down. So that's uh, uh, an unusual situation. There's a lot of people that say that Bitcoin is the new inflation hedge and it's replacing gold. I think that there's some truth to that, but it still doesn't explain the magnitude of the weakness in gold. Um, and so that remains still a bit of a mystery, but for now, given the way gold is reacting um, it doesn't appear to be an effective inflation hedge, although silver could be, you know, I would favor silver a lot more over gold right now because it, it, it actually benefits from increased economic activity. Uh, and Barry, just to, to wrap it up and, and bottom line for our viewers, given the fact that, 
you know, the S&P and the Dow seem to feel a little bit more stable today, but um, we are obviously still seeing quite a bit of pressure in the Nasdaq down by over 2%. When we take yesterday and today and over the certainly past couple of weeks together, um, you know, what, what's the bottom line for our viewers? Well, I think that the markets are, are telling you that as long as bond yields are rising, then the likelihood of the stock market going up from here is relatively low and the risk of a material correction increases as bond yields rise. I think that's the big story. Um, but on the other hand, to me, inflation expectations are rising for logical reasons, but they're doing what markets normally do and overshoot. I think they're already overshot the, the likelihood of inflation averaging more than 2% over the next 10 years. It's now saying we're gonna average two and a quarter percent. Doesn't seem like that much, but given the level of equity markets and the level of equity multiples and the, the very tight levels of credit spreads, all of those things at the margin, um, you know, can cause volatility. So this is not the time to increase risk. I think you wait to see how the bond market plays out. And if we get, if the bond yields do rise enough to cause a 10 or 15% correction in the stock market, um, then what you do is you buy stocks and probably high yield bonds at that point. But for right now, it's time to be cautious. Understood. Uh, Barry, great to get your perspective today. Thank you so much. I know a lot of people wanted to hear what you're, you've been thinking over the past couple of days. So thank you. Okay, great. The, the, we, we're at these inflection points and it's always difficult, um, but it's rarely a bad idea to, to exhibit caution when we get around these, these situations. Perfect. All right. We'll speak to you soon then. Thank you. All right. Take care. Be good.